Thanks for tuning in to Dream City Omaha, where we're all about helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. We hope this message impacts your life, and be sure to like and subscribe for more. Today we're going to get into God's Word. We're continuing our series entitled Refinance. We've been looking at finances as it pertains and what really what God's Word has to say about our, our material resources. And, and the question is, well, why? Why do we talk about finances? Because our heart is to help you and equip you to walk in freedom in every area of your life. Freedom from your hurts, freedom from your past, freedom from pain. But, but did you know that there's also this financial freedom that we can walk in? There's financial freedom that is available to us. And as we've gone through this series, I've, I've tried to explain to you why it's so important because we, we all have access to financial freedom, but very few of us are walking in that. Statistically, 80% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck with less than $1,000 in their savings account. So when the car needs tires, rather than having the resources to be able to do that, what do we do? We pull out this little piece of plastic and we acquire more debt and more debt and more debt. And we're in debt to our eyeballs with no real plan of how to get out of it. And, and it feels like we're drowning, but yet freedom is available to us. If we would just understand what God's word has to say about this specific area. You're like, well, well, Jesus didn't talk about money. No, Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined, Amen. specifically. Now, yes, everything Jesus taught was about the kingdom, but Jesus, one, one of the, the most frequent topics that Jesus talks about is money and stewardship and, and, and resources and what we are to do with that. Because I've told you, Time and time again, it's not a money issue, it's a heart issue. The money problems are just a symptom of heart problems. Money issues are simply are a, a symptom of, of heart issues. Amen. It's manifesting itself in that way. And so we have to get to the root issue. We talked week number one about developing a healthy relationship with money. Week two, we talked about tithing. Again, would encourage you, go back and watch those messages. Last week, we talked about the, the secrets to being content. Uh, Paul says that I've been, I've been hungry, I've been full, I've had it all, and I've had nothing, and I've learned the secret to be content in all things. It's God's strength in me that allows me to do that. It's not about me, but it's about God in me as my source. It's about knowing that God sees me in all things and in all circumstances, and it's about having a heart of gratitude no matter what I go through, being grateful and thankful for all things and in all things, that if we can't be, we can't be, be content until we have that heart of gratitude. Today we're going to continue. We're going to talk about stewardship. In the last couple of weeks, we've talked about money without really talking about money. Last week's message, like contentment, yes, it was about money, but it really wasn't about money. It's about deeper issues. And today it's going to be kind of similar. We're going to talk about stewardship. What is, what is stewardship? How do I be a good steward? What does it mean to be a steward? Here's the def definition of a steward. A steward is a person who manages Another person's property or financial affairs according to the desires of the owner. A steward is one who has been entrusted resources from an owner, and his job is to manage that according to the desires of the master. Jesus would often teach in, in parables, which were simply short stories with a, a, a kingdom principle underlying. Several of the stories that Jesus told had to do with with stewardship, with people who had been entrusted something from a master or an owner. 
And in Luke, we're, 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 given one of these, we're given one of these stories. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about this, this steward who was entrusted his owner's estate. The owner went away for a time, and, and the steward, rather than stewarding well, he was actually a poor steward. He, he failed his master in this way, squandered his, his affairs, and, and really didn't care to them as the master would want. He, he then gets accused of poor stewardship, and the owner decides, I need to go and investigate, see what's going on. Hearing that the owner is on his way home, the steward begins to call all of those in debt to his master to him. He says, how much do you owe my master? Well, I owe your master this much. Okay, let's cut it in half, pay it today, and I'll cancel your debt. How much do you owe my master? I owe your master this much. Okay, pay half of it. I'll cancel your debt. Time and time again, he called these people. Why? Because he knew he was going to get fired. And his hope was that once my, my owner arrives and fires me, one of these people who I've been nice to will then take me in and hire me. So he called all of these people who were in debt and, and took half, canceled the rest of their debt. And it's an interesting parable. I would encourage you to, to go back and to, to read it. But it's an interesting parable because Jesus gets to the end of this story and he actually commends this steward. He actually, rather than condemning this man, he says, you know what? He used worldly resources to influence people around him. And you should do the same. And he commends this steward and he gets to the end of this, this teaching and to the end of this parable. And he says, listen, if you're, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in the big things. Go ahead and put that scripture up, verse 10. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? He concludes this by saying, if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? As Jesus is talking about this, this shrewd steward is what the Bible calls him. So he's talking about stewardship. I think here in these few verses, he hits the nail on the head. If you, if you can't be trusted with what you've been given, why would then the master or the owner give you more? Amen. And if you've proven that he can't trust you with the little bit that he has, why would he give you more? I think sometimes it's like, God, I want more, and I, I promise when I get more, then I'll be a good steward. God, when I get that raise, then I'll start tithing. God, when I get that promotion, then I'll start. It's like, God, give me $100,000, and God's like, no, because I've seen what you've done with 1000 God, give me more, and God says, I can't because I don't know that I can trust you with, with the little that you have now. This morning, as we, we look at stewardship, what it means to be a good steward, how do I, how do I operate as a good steward? I want to I point two things out to you, two reasons why stewardship is important. And then I want to give you four really practical, really simple things that, that how, how can I be a good steward? Four keys to good stewardship in your life. But today, the, the first point that I want to, to, to point out to you is that as stewards, as stewards, it's important to understand that one day we will give an account to the master. Every steward always has to give an account to the master for what he's done with the master's resources. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells another story about three servants 
who were entrusted material wealth from the master. The master was going away. And it's, he said that, that to one, he gave five bags of silver. To another, he gave two. And to another, he gave one. He went away and, and came home. And as he came home, he called them unto himself to give an account of what they had done. Look at verse 19. After a long time, the master returned, called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Whose money was it? The master's money. Who was it entrusted to? The servants. But it wasn't their money. It was his money. If you have a, a Bible here today, I want you to circle that or highlight that or underline that, the three of you that have physical Bibles. The rest of you that are on your devices, go ahead and tap that, and then you can select whatever color you want to highlight it. However you need to get this into your heart, get it into your heart, because the master is the one who entrusts it, but it never means that he is not the owner of it. It was his money all along. Your money, listen, look at me, your money is not your money. Your house is not your house. Your car is not your car. Those things are not yours. They have been entrusted to you by the owner, but you are simply a manager and a steward of what belongs to another owner and another master. And one day, just as these stewards were called in to give an account, so too will you be called in to give an account. Now, when they came in, the one with five, he said, Master, you gave me five and I took it and I invested it and I turned it into 10. Here's, here's 10 now. Now, Master, you don't just have five, you have 10 because I've used your resources to your end and according to your desire. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, we're gonna celebrate the person with two, who had two? Come, let me, let me hear what you did. Well, master, I took it and I invested. I turned your two into four. I, I used your resources according to your desire and your purpose. Awesome, great, wonderful. Come on in, you good and faithful servant. That's perfect. The one with one, where are you at? Sir, steps forward, says, master, I took the one and I buried it in the sand and I didn't do anything with it. And so here's your one back. Master, I, I lived like this. I protected it. I guarded it. I didn't let anybody else touch it. And he says, you wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant. Why? Because that's not my desire. That's not my intention. Imagine you're that servant. Like, at least I didn't lose it. Like, here is your, here is your money back. And the master says, I, it was never about the money. That's not my intention. And that's not my desire. My desire was for you to take it and to use it and to multiply it, to invest it, to use it in these other ways. Well, I didn't do that. That's why you're wicked. Because you didn't do what I wanted you to do. As stewards, it's so important that we understand what the master desires. If you don't know what the master wants, there's no way you can properly steward his resources. If you don't know what the master wants, you, you, you'll be that one to come to him one day and be like, well, I thought that this would be okay. No, it wasn't okay because that's not what I had instructed you to do. Well, Pastor John, how do I know what the master wants? He's already told you. He's already given it to you. Every desire and intent and purpose that your master has for you in your life is, is in his letter to you. It's time for us as, as stewards 
to stop claiming ignorance and say, well, I didn't know. No, you know. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Every, every steward must give an account to the master. I think two of the, the biggest reasons that there's improper stewardship is because as a church, we don't know what the master wants. We can't steward well because we don't know what he's, he's asked of us. I think the other reason there's improper stewardship is because we've got it twisted and somehow think that we're the owners. When you're the owner, you can do whatever you want. When, when, when you're the owner, you can use it to your ends and your gain. When you're the owner, it's about your desires and your intent. But we need to understand we are not the owners. We need to... to to remove ourselves from that position in our lives and, and resubmit our resume as stewards rather than as owners, because that was never intended, that that's never what it was intended to be. We have to understand that it's not just about our material resources either, because Paul in Romans 12 says to offer your whole bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Now that, that phrase, whole body, your, your bodies, actually it means the entirety of your being. So even this verse is not just talking about, okay, yeah, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And yes, it is. But this is telling us to offer our, the, entire, the entirety of our beings to God and for God. Nothing that you have materially, nothing that you have in terms of the talents and the strengths and the giftings that God has given you, nothing that you have, even your physical body, Nothing that you have, the time that God has given you, nothing that you have is yours. But as a steward, we need to begin asking ourselves, what does the master want me to do with what he's entrusted to me? Amen. Is that a thought that goes through our head when we, we, when we wake up in the morning? God, what do you want me to do with the time that you've given me today? Because I can use this time to do what I want to do. But that would be poor stewardship. Instead, you are the owner, so what do you want me to do with the time you've given me today? God, how can I, how can I steward well the, the resources, not so that my purpose would be accomplished, but so that your purpose would be accomplished? God, what would you like me to do today? The second reason that stewardship is so important is because stewardship is a thermometer of your discipleship. Stewardship, if, if you want to know how much you've grown as a disciple of Christ, just look at how well you steward. I think it's the easiest, the easiest gauge and the easiest way to measure your commitment level and your, your spiritual temperature in terms of your discipleship. Let me say it this way. Where there is no stewardship, there is no discipleship. If you can't steward, you can't call yourself a disciple. Well, how can you, how can you say that? Because a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a, is a follower. A disciple is a student. The, the reason a rabbi would call somebody to be their disciple is because I see things in you that means that you can do what I do one day. And the things that I teach you, you will put into practice and then go and you'll begin teaching other people so that when people look at you, they won't look at you. They'll look at me because I've instructed and I've trained and I've taught and I've equipped. And now you're out there as a representation of me. 
as a disciple of Christ, we are to go out there and be representations of him. That's what it means. And so if the master has said, this is what I want you to do, and we are not doing it, how then can we call ourselves a disciple of the master? It's really quiet. I don't know how the engagement is online, but it's really quiet in here. today, And that's fine. Like, listen, I, I understand that this message is going to, to prick and to poke, and it's going to, you know, reveal some things. And, but here's the thing, that when, when you go to the doctor's office, and they say, where does it hurt? You say, well, it hurts right here. What do they do? They poke at Yes. Like, why did you, I just told you it hurts. Why would you then do that? Right? If the doctor pokes and it hurts, then that means there is something happening below the surface that the doctor needs to address. And if today the Holy Spirit is poking and it's hurting, it's not the doctor's fault. There is something below the surface that the doctor is trying to address to get you to a place of healing and wholeness. And so God, as the great physician, may be here today poking and prodding. And if you're like, ouch, that hurts, then, then rather than, than stiffening up and hardening yourself, submit yourself to the process and say, okay, God, if there's something you're wanting to show me, then show me. But a, the stewardship is a thermometer of your level of discipleship. There are people who have been in church for 30 years, and it's like, yeah, I know all the scriptures, and I've led all the groups, and I've done all the things, and I've attended all of the classes. Okay, but how are you stewarding what God has placed inside of you? How are you using that for his purpose? Yes, you've acquired and you've accumulated all of this and you've done all of these things, but then who are you then giving it to? Because that's the master's desire. The master's purpose is not so that you could puff yourself up and be like, oh, look at me, but it's so that then you can go and make disciples. Who have you discipled in the last three years? That's proper stewardship. Who are you training? Who are you instructing? Who are you encouraging? Who are you equipping? That's proper stewardship. So I don't want to hear about all the classes that you've taken until you bring some of your own disciples in here. Like this is the person that I've been praying for and witnessing to and they got saved and now their lives are being changed and transformed. Perfect. Now you are a good steward. But until that point, we're all just working to get there. God, help us to be those good stewards. If you look at your resources as a means to an end for you, you've missed the boat completely. If you look into your bank account and ask, what can I get for myself? You've missed the boat. You've missed the point. Because that's not what a steward does. A steward does not act on behalf of themselves. They act on behalf of the master and the owner. And so instead, what you need to ask is, God, what can I do for your kingdom with the resources that you've given me? How can I make your name great? with the resources that you've given me? How can I, rather than trying to acquire and accumulate for myself, how can I invest into your kingdom? When you begin asking those types of questions, you know you're moving in the right direction. As long as your resources are a means to an end for you, you're not understanding proper stewardship. How do I do it? Okay, Pastor John, so how do I, how do I, how do I be that good steward? What are things that I need to do in my life to ensure that I'm moving in the direction as a good steward. Very glad you asked. Number one, tithe. This is not the last thing. This is the first thing. 
This is not, let me get a savings account and then let me pay off some debt and then let me do this and let me get a raise and then I'll start tithing. No, you've got it backwards. This has to be the first thing. God has to be first in every area of your life. And until he is, everything else can still be out of order and it will continue to be out of order. So number one, we have to understand that that we need to bring God that first fruit. The second thing, after we've done that, how do I ensure proper stewardship in my life? Number two, save before you spend. How many of us do that? How many of us on Fridays when we get that check, we take a look at it and it's like, okay, let me get onto the Dream City app or better yet, you know what you could do? You could just automate that. So then every Friday when you get paid, you don't even have to think about it, but it automates your obedience in that area. How I many you know automated obedience is, is pretty easy? Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. It helps me out. But when we get paid, the first 10%, God, that's yours. Bring that to you. The second 10%, I'm going to save that. And then 80% is what I'm going to learn to live off of. Proper stewardship. This is proper stewardship. Look at what, look at what the Bible says. Go and put that scripture from Proverbs up there. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Yeah, we're at church. Come on, you should be here. Why aren't you here? (laughs) Wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. I didn't say that. Do you know who said that? Solomon said that. Do you know who Solomon was? The wisest man that ever lived. I think it would benefit us to to listen and to learn from him. Are you saving? Again, most people don't have $1,000 in their savings account. And if some emergency happened, which how many you know in life, emergencies happen. When emergencies happen, rather than having the money to be able to do that, we have to go get another credit card. We got to do this. You know how nice it was the very first time that, that we, took, we took a car to the shop and had the shop call and say, hey, it's going to be $1,200. You know how nice it was the very first time we were able to just say, Okay and not have a meltdown and not have a heart attack and not like begin to stress and worry and lose sleep. And like, how are we going to afford this? And how are we going to pay for this? And honestly, listen, it wasn't until like four or five years ago. It wasn't until recently that we were, we were able to, to be in that position, but it's so freeing to be able to be there where when something happens, an emergency pops up, you're like, you know what? Because I've stewarded well, This isn't going to break the bank. This isn't going to kill me. It's okay. It's all going to be all right. It's such a freeing and liberating feeling. But so few of us are there because we get paid and we spend. Tithe, save. And then number three, what do I do with the rest? Live within your means. Stop trying to buy things that you can't afford. Stop trying to one-up your neighbor with your house and your car and your this and your that. Young people, listen to me, because this is like a, an epidemic of young people right now, especially who are moving out of their parents' houses and think that they need to have the same quality of life that they had while they were under their parents' roof. <laughs> listen, you laugh. You laugh. 
But millennials are going into debt at crazy rates and for crazy amounts. Why? Because they move out and I was so comfortable with mom and dad that I need the same quality of life without working the 30 or 40 years that my parents worked. And I'm not afford, I can't afford it right now, so what will I do? I will take out loans and I will use credit cards to pay for it to keep me comfortable. Young people, you didn't see the time that your parents gave in the, the blood and the sweat and the tears that they had to put in to get to that point. Congratulations, you're 20 years old. Great job, but that doesn't mean that you need to live in the same house or drive the same car or go to the same restaurants or do the same things that your parents did. They paid their dues and they put in their time. You need to as well. And it's not just, listen, it's, it's, it's critical with young people, but it's not just a young person problem. Keeping up with the Joneses is not just a millennial issue. It's all of us. We buy things that we can't afford to impress people that we don't even like. You don't need that. Put it back. You don't need that Nebraska Furniture Mart. I don't care if it's 0% for 18 months. You're not going to pay it off in 18 months, and then you're going to be paying 22% on it. I don't care if Shields will let you save $50 if you apply for their credit card today because that interest rate is like 21%. I don't care what Cabela's and Bass Pro, I don't care how good the salesperson was. Stop living beyond your means. If you can't afford it, then the answer is no. And a credit card does not mean that, well, I can afford it. Live within your means. Stop overextending yourself. So many people are so overextended. Overextended before we do number one. Overextended before we even do number two. You want me to live on 80%, Pastor John? Statistically, do you know what they, they say? Statistically, Americans spend 107% of what they make. This is, this, is not, this is not tithing and saving. This is what I'm spending. 107%. Well, how is that even possible? Debt and credit cards. So when, when I get up here and it's like, listen, you need to tithe 10%. Some of you are like, that's 17% that I got to cut out. If I'm spending 107%, to get to a point where I'm spending 90 and giving 10 to God, that's 17% of my monthly spending that I need to eliminate. You need to tithe and you need to save 10%. Pastor John, that's a quarter of what I'm spending every month that you're asking me to cut out. Yeah, it is. But if you want to be a good steward that gives an account one day and God says, well done, good and faithful servant, then this is what it's going to require. It's going to require cutting out that $6 Starbucks every morning on the way to work. It's going to require cutting out that trip to lunch. Listen, I can't even afford to take my kids to, to, to lunch on Sundays anymore. There's six of them, and two of them are teenagers. And anywhere we go, it's like 100 bucks. Like, no, you can get Taco Bell. Here's five. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. You don't need to. I was, I was going to say you don't need to get the guac at Chipotle because the guac is extra, but you do need the guac at Chipotle. So you can keep that. Just find something else to cut. Find things. To cut, but we're, we're also overextended. Why? Well, I'm saving money because I'm not paying for cable. Okay, but then you're paying $13 for Netflix and nine for Hulu, and then you've got Paramount Plus, and then you've got Peacock, and then you've got... And so we, we cut out the cable, but we've got all of these streaming subscriptions that we pay for that end up being even more than the cable was to begin with. Go back to DVR. Like, what are those things? Listen, what are those things that you need to cut out? If we're spending 107% of our income, God help us. 
No wonder we're in the position that we're in. No wonder we're, we are where we are, where people don't want to go back to work and just give me another stimulus check. Just give me more money. Burger King can't even stay open because nobody wants to work. Like, it's not even a joke. The Burger King had a sign, close at 3 p.m., have nobody to work the lobby. Huh? We've got such an entitled and consumeristic attitude and mindset in this country right now. I don't want to work, but give it to me. I deserve, I should have. Says who? Stop living beyond yourself and outside of your means. Rain it back, cut some stuff out. And then number four, be generous with the rest. <laughs> what rest? <laughs> what rest? Listen, if you do number one, if you do number two, and if you do number three, you'll be surprised how much is left. Like not even, not even joking. Some of you are sitting there right now like having like hot sweats right now because it's like you're, you're already trying to like figure out how is this all going to work? I don't know. There are people smarter than me that can help you with all of the financial things. And we've got a Dave Ramsey class that we're starting the end of September. So for those of you that are here that are like, listen, I need some real help in this area. Awesome. Sign up for that Sunday night starting the last weekend in September. But listen, if we do number one, if we honor God with the first fruit, if we do number two, if we save before we spend, if we count the cost, who's going to build the building without first considering how much it's going to cost? No, then everybody's going to laugh at you. Why? Because you're living outside of your means. If we rein it in, if we dial it back, if we cut out some of those things, you'll be surprised with how much money you're left with at the end of every month. Some of you have been dying to get to that point. To the point where you can just be generous, to where when somebody in your small group needs a new car, here's $3,000. Somebody, somebody's going through something. Imagine how, how freeing and how awesome that would be to be able to stand up and say, whatever you need, I can take care of you. Why? Because I've been a good steward and it's not mine to begin with. Because I, I am using the master's resources according to his purpose. It's easy to be generous when you understand that you're not the owner. If I pulled out a $100 bill, Bill, and I said, Bill, I want you to bless somebody with this $100. It's mine. I don't care who you give it to. Give it to somebody. It wouldn't be very hard for you to just, you, here's $100. You wouldn't even think about it. He's, Jim said, I'm right behind him. But if I asked you, go to the ATM, pull out $100, and I want you to give it to somebody, be like, that ATM's kind of far. I got this coming out tomorrow. You know, all of these things would begin to go through your, your head. But how much does it free you up when you realize that it's not yours? When it's mine that I've entrusted to you to then go and be a blessing to other people, it's easier to do than when you think, well, this is mine. No, it's not yours. It's mine. 
I am the owner of that. And that's what God's saying. Like, listen, I've called you to be, to be, to be generous, to have this radical and cheerful generosity, but you're not able to do that. One, because you're not honoring the tithe. Two, because you're being unwise with your money. Three, because you're buying things that you don't need and spending more than you have. And so four, you can't even, you can't even live this liberating, freeing, fulfilling lifestyle where you're able to just give so much of it away. I, I can't even understand what it would be like. Okay, okay, but if we were just simply good stewards, we can get to that point of being a blessing to other people. Looking around and asking God, God, who would you like to bless through me today? That's Angel's biggest dream is to one day be able to give everything that we have away. Jesus. (laughs) Luis, you can come back, but, but that's Angel's dream. That's her heart. She just, she is the most generous person. So if you need anything, go talk to Angel. The most generous person that I know. But I, I, I promise you, like when, when you can get to that point of going to the master and going to the owner and saying, who would you like to bless through me today? It is one of the most satisfying and rewarding things. We think of generosity as a gift to other people, but generosity is a gift to us. It does more for us than it does for that other person, but so few of us are able to live there because we're not stewarding in these other things. Today, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you find yourself. I don't know what your bank account looks like. I don't know what your resources look like, but here's what I want you to understand walking away to that. Number one, that stuff is not your stuff. You are not the owner of anything, God is the owner. We are only the managers. Number two, we need to begin asking the master, what would you have me to do? We need to begin looking at our resources as a means to our master's end and not a means to our end. Not as a means to get what we want, but as a means to get what the master wants in us, from us and through us. God came to Abraham in Genesis and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you so incredibly, but I'm going to bless you so that the entire world through you might be blessed. And that's what God wants for you. He wants to bless you, not so that you could be blessed, but so that you can then be a blessing to those around you. But we'll never get to that place of blessing those around us until we understand proper stewardship in every area of our lives. Stand with me this morning. Let's pray and we'll dismiss. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, today I just want to to repent for, for, for thinking that I'm the owner of anything in my life the time you've given me, the strengths you've given me, the abilities you've given me, the body you've given me, the money you've given me, the job you've given me, everything that I have is not mine, it's yours. You are the owner, you are the master. I am simply a servant and a steward. God, forgive me for my selfishness and looking that as a means to get what I want rather than the intent and as a means to fulfill your purpose and to serve you. And even as those, those stewards, they're, 
the job was to operate according to the desires of the master. Lord, may I operate my life according to your desires, not according to my own. Lord, for those of us in here that, and maybe we, we, felt, the, we felt the pressure, we felt the tension, we felt the pain as Holy Spirit, you've poked here and you've, you've prodded there. Lord, I pray that rather than resisting that in stubbornness, that we instead would humble ourselves and submit ourselves unto you and unto your leading. Whatever area of our lives we have failed to operate in good stewardship, whether it's with our money, our time, our talents, whatever that, that is, God, I pray that, that you would show us and that we would determine today that I'm gonna be a good steward. I'm gonna do whatever I can every day, not for my benefit, but for the master's benefit. Lord, we want to be those cheerful givers, those, those ones that, that operate in radical generosity, but God, we, we need to first be free in this area. We'll never be free until we submit ourselves to you and to your plan when it comes to our finances. So Lord, as we go from this place, I pray that you would give us, give us wisdom, give us understanding, show us those areas that maybe we need to cut back, things that maybe we need to eliminate, things that we haven't been doing we need to start, or things that we've been doing we need to stop, whatever the case may be. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and knowledge and insight into that, but then as you, you give us that, Lord, give us the determination to stand by it, to stick to it. That this wouldn't be a two-week change or a three-week change, but God, that this would be a lifestyle of stewardship. That we would leave a legacy of stewardship to those around us. We love you. We thank you. Be with us today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Listen, if you need prayer, our prayer team is down here. We'd love to be able to minister to you in that way. If not, be blessed. Have a great week. Love you, church. See you guys next week. Dream City Omaha is here to help you discover Christ, recover your identity, and uncover your purpose. We encourage you to check out our past sermon series and our discipleship classes, and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date.